oral tradition in history. That's a major aspect of what I love about the paranormal. The fascination with the supernatural and high strangeness. The stories that many different cultures share. And like a thread in a large tapestry that you start to pull the final thread, the picture comes together into focus, allowing you to see and the unseen to be seen once and for all. Tonight, we'll be sharing your stories, emails that you've sent in. The tradition carries on as we gather this evening to share a scare. True tales of the paranormal from you, my darklings around the world. That's next, right here on the very best in Paranormal Talk Radio. I'm your host, Dave Schrader, and this is my Paranormal 60. I'm not gonna stand here and listen to this baloney. He won't know. He doesn't stand for baloney. Good evening, my little darlings, and thank you for joining me as we discuss strange stories from around the world, from listeners just like you who've taken the time to email in your tales. We'll be discussing that in a few minutes. I do want to bring up something. Uh, I am one that hates vague booking, as they call it on social media, when posts are put up that allude to something or seem to elicit an emotion, compassion, empathy, without getting to the point. And I understand it's important to do that sometimes. Today, I posted something on Facebook. I asked for prayers for myself, protective prayers, prayers to surround me and keep me shielded. I do my own prayers, and I do my best to try to keep myself protected. But doing what I do and having been out in the world doing what I do for over 18 years and having a life steeped in it for 55 There are weaknesses in the armor, and from time to time, something wicked this way comes. And I don't want to get too deep into what occurred because I don't want to give it that kind of power. I don't want it to feel it it has any kind of control over me. That's not where I want this to go. So I will say that I've spoken openly about dream visitations in the past, a a form of paranormal communication. It's, of course, a very, I guess, weak form of the paranormal because it is easy to explain away when you say it's a dream, right? It's something your brain is working out. We have strange and unusual dreams all the time. And it doesn't always mean anything. And sometimes it's just the brain playing out scenarios and, and doling things out or our soul perhaps traversing the multiverse, witnessing and seeing very strange things. But from time to time, we have these very powerful moments, these dream visitations. And I've talked openly about a few of mine. These visitations from somebody who's crossed over to the other side or has left this mortal coil 
and somehow makes their way back to us through the dream world. When I had mine, I was very aware that I was in a dream and that it was coming to an end and that this was a very real experience that I was about to have. And those dream visitations I've had have always been positive, with the exception of one. When I was in high school, I dealt with a very dark individual, and uh, I was actually having a dream. In the dream, I could fly, and usually in my flight dreams, I start to become aware halfway, three-quarters of the way through that it is a dream. Because I'm flying, that's usually the indicator, Dave. That's when you're able to lift up off the ground and take flight, you're probably in a different realm, right? Just takes me three quarters of the dream to get there. But in this dream, dealing with this person, uh, I kept trying to jump over him as he was stabbing at me with a knife. And I would jump over it, but I couldn't get very high. It was like a nightmare when your feet keep getting stuck in that cement feel and you just keep trudging along and can't seem to break free. That terror moment. And as I dove over him, one of the last times he drove his knife up and caught me in the stomach and I winced and screamed in pain as I hit the ground in my dream. And when I opened up, I was in my bed screaming, holding my stomach. My mom A registered nurse came running downstairs to check on her son to see what's wrong, and I was bleeding. I had an incision on my abdomen about an inch, inch and a quarter long. My mom looked. Did a spring maybe pop up through the old mattress? Was there something in the bed that might have fallen out that caught me? She couldn't understand it, and it almost needed uh, stitches. It was pretty deep, and it was a nasty gash. She bandaged me up and got me back to sleep, but it felt like a Freddy Krueger moment, something I brought back from the dream realm. That's the last time that I've had an experience in the dream state where I felt something malevolent was with me. I pray that that doesn't happen for you. And I'm not talking about just nightmare fuel. I'm talking about a real experience with what I believe to be the supernatural. Can I say this without a doubt? No, none of us could, right? We're talking about the dream state, but it's a knowing when you've had that experience, this is not normal. This is beyond the ken. And in this sense, I knew there was something wrong. Well, something happened last night in a vulnerable sleep state. And it was, it, it's very impactful, unnerving, disturbing, and made me realize just how accessible I was. I did my prayers. I did my, my healing and protection prayers and asked to be shielded. And then I wondered, what did I do wrong that drew this energy to me? What, what opened that chasm that allowed something in? People are always asking me, do you think that you bring things home with you? Can you get attachments? Can you do this? I, I don't believe that I normally get attachments, as I've said. But I do believe that when you do this enough, you start to draw the attention of things. And sometimes those things don't like the spotlight shown on them. I don't know if that's what's happened, but I do know that today I threw up a very small 
post asking for prayers, asking for protection. And I received many messages and I did state in there, please don't write me. I'm not going to tell you what this is about specifically as I'm talking to you tonight. This is the closest I've gotten to giving any real details. And I won't go beyond this point because again, I feel like giving things too much energy empowers it. And I don't want it to feel that it has a power over me, nor do I want it to feel that it, uh, it needs to show itself again. So I'm fine with just letting that be. But what did really touch my heart is the fact that there were, I think there's over 1,500 responses from people all around the world sending prayers and good thoughts and positive intentions and working in whatever light that they work in. And I, I thank you so much because I really do feel like I need it right now more than I think I've ever needed it. I don't know why, but what happened to me last night was very unnerving. I know I don't believe that, uh, there's anybody else in my house that's, um, vulnerable. I think this thing was specifically singling me out and I'm hoping that we're done and I've put my foot down, set the manifestation and the intention. And I have many of you, my little darklings around the world trying to help out. So thank you. I appreciate that. And I wanted to begin the show with a sign of that appreciation and thank you all for doing what you do and showing the love and support that you show not only to me, but to those that I post about when the prayer and healing requests come out. It means a lot to me. And I will be honest with you. I hope that you'll respond the same way for all the people that I put up. It's always sweet to see that there are responses never to the level it is when it's me. Um, and I appreciate that, but I also want you to know that I don't deserve more attention or more prayers because of who I am. And when I post the prayers and healing, I hope that you'll take into account the people that don't have followers around the world, that you'll pour out the same kind of empathy and love and affection. And the one thing I will ask of you, and I've tried to get better at doing when I post a prayer and healing request is include a prayer because I know there are many of you out there that don't know what to say or how to say it. And I try to do my best to put something out there. But when somebody asks for a prayer and asks for help, although it's sweet to show the little praying hands, if you don't actually put the effort into the prayer behind it, I don't feel it's nearly as effective or powerful. When people ask me to do prayer and healing requests, one of the things I do is immediately put my hand on my screen. It's just my intention, my manifestation that I want to feel that I am in touch and in communication with that person that's asking for my help. And I do an immediate prayer and my wife and my kids and wherever I'm at, sometimes I'm at events and I'll just bow my head, put my hand on my screen and, and say a prayer. And I try to do it on the spot. It doesn't take long, but I do believe that in that raised level of awareness and many people coming together doing that, that things can change, especially for health. Um, so uh, consider that when doing prayer and, and offering that service for people. I take it very seriously. I don't believe myself to be a religious man in the sense of being a pastor or a priest or a rabbi or anything of that level. And it, it is a very heavy 
weight on my shoulder to have people come to me for prayer requests, not a weight that I, I don't want and not a weight that I cannot bear. I hope you understand that. And I don't mean it to sound negative in any way, but it is, I know it's not me. I'm just trying to share with the people. I know when people come to me for prayer, although it is interesting, I get a lot of people who write, no, I don't want this public. Would you just pray for me? So I take that very seriously. And I feel that when somebody is at that broken moment and they ask for help, they're not asking for money. They're not asking for your time, really. They're not asking for your you know, voice so much as a, a 10 to 30 second prayer or sending that energy, just committing to that person, seeing them, surrounding them in whatever energy, light, God's breath, whatever you feel that they need around them. I, you know, it's a great way to do things. And I think if you do that, you'll start feeling better yourself. I know I usually do. Uh, got a lot of great emails. I want to remind people next Monday is our 150th episode. The boys are going to join me. The Paranormal 60 News crew will be here. We'll be taking your questions. We'll also be putting up the link so you can join us live on the air and share your stories. So we would love for you to be a part of that show. And what you can do is email me, dave at paranormal60.com. That's dave at paranormal60.com. <laughs> it's the same. I, no matter where I am, one of the cats gets into catnip this time of night. I don't know. Is this just the time cats are supposed to get high? I don't understand it. But uh, just email me, Dave at paranormal60.com, and in the reference line, just put 150th episode. And I'll email you a link that morning, that afternoon, and it'll give you the the information on how to join us and be live on the air. But we'd love to hear your stories. We'd love to hear your stuff. And as much as we love the accolades, I don't want you to just call in or be a part of the show and be like, oh, I love you guys. Have a great night. I want you to share with us live and interactive. I want you to be a part of the show. So I hope that you'll do that. And that's for the 150th episode next Monday. The boys are with me this Wednesday for news. Next Monday for the 150th. Next Wednesday for news. And then we're back onto a normal scope. But tonight I wanted to uh, make sure I got through. I get a lot of emails and I don't always get time to go through them. And we've got some interesting stories in here. So I want to try to get to them so that you know when you send them, I'm going to do my best to bring them to you. Hi, Dave and the news crew. I have two stories to share with you. A little backstory. I've always been interested in the paranormal and the like. And as a child, I would dream of people, people I had not seen in years. And the next day, they would be visiting. I always felt others' feelings, what people call an empath. Though as a child and through my teenage and young adult life, I never knew what was this ability. Still to this day, and I'm now 52, things still seem to happen. I understand a lot more now since my late 30s where I have read and watched all things paranormal and different. I have many stories I could share, but in this email, I will share just two of them with you. Both stories have to do with my dad, who passed away in February of 2015. My dad was a jokester. He would always ring my doorbell to get my boxer and shih tzu to go absolutely bonkers. He would sometimes, when visiting, just get up and do it multiple times during that visit. Well, about a year after he passed, my doorbell started to go off on its own. I stopped what I was doing and froze. My dogs were going crazy as the doorbell is playing Christmas music. My doorbell is unhooked at the back door because of an 
add-on of an addition. We hadn't hooked it back up to the power. I ran to the doorbell receiver, opened it up, turned it off, but it would not turn off, even in the off position. Remember, it's not even hooked up to power. Now, as the dogs are going crazy behind me, I ripped it out of the wall. The receiver part was about five inches by seven inches, and I threw it out into the cold main winter. It went on for another minute before it finally shut off. After I shut the door and sat on the couch, I said to the empty room, that was not funny, Daddy. I told my family, and as they've all had experiences with Dad over the past year, the first thing they would say is, I bet it was Dad. Now, I have included a picture of the wall where the doorbell used to be. And she sent that picture. I'll show it for those of you watching. And uh, yeah, look at that. She goes, I've included a picture of the wall where the doorbell used to be. And guess whose picture is right there beside it? The picture has been in that spot for over 13 years since we first moved in in 2010. And yep, as you guessed it, that's a photo of my dad. Second story was once again at my house. My house was the gathering place for the family. There was always family at my house. My, my house has a big pool, a hot tub, plenty of outside stuff to do. And I have a small but very close family. My stepmom was getting ready to take my nephew home after swimming one day. My nephew was kneeling in front of the stepmom's truck, putting things from passenger seat to the back seat. We were standing outside the truck. Everyone was leaving, so we were saying our goodbyes and hugs when the radio in the truck that was my dad's started playing. My stepmom and I stopped and looked at each other, and our jaws dropped open. She was swinging the keys in her hand. My nephew, who had his back to us, didn't even realize the key wasn't in the ignition. Not until my stepmom says, that can't be happening. My nephew turned at that moment and realized my stepmom is standing outside of the truck with the keys swinging from her hand. We all at the same time said, Dad or Grampy. The next day, my stepmom took the truck to the Chevy dealership. She asked if the radio could work without the key. They said there is no way. They even checked everything. So we all know that it was just Dad being Dad. I hope you and your listeners enjoy my ghost stories. If you'd like more, I'd be happy to send more in. I have a near-death one that still baffles my husband and I. Let me know if you'd like more. And don't want I don't want to be a bother. Well, Anne, you're not being a bother when we tell you to send in stories. So thank you, Anne White. P.S. I'm a big fan. I watch and re-watch all many, many times. I watch all things you're in. And P.P.S. Sorry, Dave. Love you. But my fave is Greg. Greg, are you serious? It's in writing. She must be serious. Her fave is Greg. Well, I'll let Greg know that, but thank you for loving the show in spite of Greg being on it. You know, we all love Greg. All right. This comes from Carrie on TikTok. I post some pictures and videos from time to time, and I do some of these, what the kids call duets, where I will go on and uh, with another video and it'll run side by side concurrent with me for those of you that don't know what a duet is. And I will kind of uh, commentate on the video, some spooky, weird videos. And then I've posted other ones and strange stuff. So you can go check it out. I'm on the ticky talkie. 
like the kids call it. Anyway, some people write to me and I said, Hey, share your story with me. So that's exactly what a Carrie King did. Morning, Dave. Thanks for asking about my first paranormal experience when I was four. It has stuck with me for 56 years and it still remains to be explained. I was born in New York City. New York City, get a rope. It's an old salsa commercial, sorry. I was born in New York City, but we lived in a two-story brownstone in Brooklyn Heights. When I was four, quite often I'd wake up in the middle of the night and see this older lady outside my window. She was wearing a housecoat with tiny daisies on it, her hair short, curly, and shocking white in color. She wore glasses and reminded me of the Pillsbury Doughboy. She would always smile and wave to me, and I'd smile back, roll over, and fall asleep. In my mind, I always thought she was a neighbor or someone's friend using the fire escape instead of the stairs to go up and down the two stories. For years, I would ask my mom and brother if they remembered her, but they thought I was just dreaming, so I let it go. Exactly 20 years later, my two younger brothers moved to Brooklyn Heights, and one day I took the subway out there to go help them with the move. I got off the subway on Atlantic Avenue and began walking. All of a sudden, I look up and see Clark Street. That was where our old apartment was. I remember the building because of the glass panels on either side of the door. They were very unique. I stood on the opposite side of the street, closed my eyes, and imagined that I was a little kid again. I walked up the stairs, opened the door, and recalled where every room was, etc. That's when it hit me. Fire escapes are always on the fronts and backs of the building, meaning the living room and then in the back where the kitchens were. Oh my God. The fire escape was never outside my window. It was outside the kitchen window. I swear, I felt like my feet were soldered to the ground and every single hair on my body was standing straight up. This creeped me out big time. All my life, I've had weird experiences, mostly as a kid, but then things quieted down. That is until September 30th of 2003. I had a near-death experience after having a double brain aneurysm. Ever since, the experience has ramped up. I had a reading with Chris Fleming two years ago. Chris Fleming, a good friend of our show, a psychic medium. After pleasantries, the first words out of his mouth were, your spirit guides are talking about your brain. I about fell off my chair. I haven't talked about the aneurysms on social media in well over 15 years. He went on to validate my experiences and deemed me a clairvoyant, empath, astral traveler, with a bit of prophecy precognition thrown in for good measure. Boy, Carrie, you are an overachiever. No, I don't talk to the dead, but I know when they're around me. I love your shows. You, Cindy, and Shane make a great team. Of course, I don't know what all went down with Zach and Travel Channel, but I really loved all the great shows. If what I've heard is true, well, we're not going to get into that because I don't want to do the rumor mill and strange stuff. Why isn't there a channel dedicated to only the paranormal? Wouldn't that be cool? We could call it Parachannel. Well, Travel Channel basically became the Para Channel, and there was a lot of people that were fans of travel shows that were griping that there was no more Travel Channel. It was all the Paranormal Channel. But I see what you're saying, and I think you may not be too far off from that. 
think there's going to be some changes made streaming service wise and such where you're going to see that. And there are some great uh, channels like Paraflix is an entire streaming channel of the paranormal and you can download it on most Roku or fire stick devices. And I think it's a very small four or $5 a month and you get a lot of paranormal content that a lot of you don't even know exists out there. Uh, all right, time for another cup of Joe. I hope this note finds you well and peaceful. Take care. And that comes from Carrie King in Charleston, South Carolina. Thank you, Carrie King, for writing in. I appreciate that. Amanda Roberts writes in to me. She says, hi, Dave. I feel like Casey Kasem when I do this. The, the letter reads, dear Casey, I was listening to the podcast and you mentioned you'd like to hear about dreams that have come true. I've had money, but this one was probably the most profound. Preface, my former boss and friend was struggling with cancer. In the dream, I had a dream that a former boss turned friend came to see me at the airport. He had his bags and wondered if I had time to talk. I was in a hurry and didn't, but I wished him a safe trip. He told me he was ascending. Then I woke up. One week later, my current boss told me that he, the former boss, would be back at work in a few days. I told her, I don't think so, based on my dream. One week after that, the phone call came from his wife that he had, in fact, passed away. That's something that'll stick with me forever. Thanks for the great shows and the podcast sent from Mandy Roberts. Thank you, Mandy. Keep your feet on the ground, but keep reaching for the stars. It's been a while since I've done my Casey case. I'll have to get better at it. I also start getting into the mode when I'm reading these. I feel like uh, Bill Curtis. See, I grew up with Bill Curtis, and then he did all these great crime shows and, and such. So it's funny how you hear things in your head one way, and when you listen back, it's something totally different. But I digress. Let's get into this. Uh, another one on prophetic dreams. This one comes from Raymond. Hi, Dave. I followed you since the old darkness radio days and always enjoy your shows. I've had a few prophetic dreams that aren't typical. Two of the three I'm sharing are within the dreams happening to me, but then turn out to have happened to someone else. The first one, I'm in the Navy and out to sea in the Caribbean on a carrier. I have a dream where I'm with my aunt and uncle who took me in at 14 and a uh, doctor is also present. I apparently had a condition where my heart was gradually slowing down and it was something that was irreversible. So saith the dream doctor, this would inevitably result in my death, which was going to be very soon. My aunt was flipping out and saying things that didn't make sense, almost gibberish and intensely not accepting it. My uncle was the calm voice trying to soothe my aunt and the situation. And then I wake up in the morning. I get to the office to discover that I received a Red Cross message and to call my aunt. I do so, and she answers sobbing, speaking gibberish, saying things like, it's not true. She's still here. She's still with us. I knew she was talking about my grandmother, her mother. My uncle gets on the phone and is really trying to speak low and calm and soothing. But my grandmother died of a stroke that previous night. The next one I have is a dream that my ex of uh, my girlfriend at the time, Toph, poisoned me. She said he was uh, still friends and close, so they kept in touch. He gave me something that was corroding my stomach. The next morning, my girlfriend calls me and says, Toph is in the hospital with some sort of ulcer problem. All right, the final one that I can remember. I dreamt about my daughter's mom 
and there was some guy there with a huge nose. I mean, like cartoonishly large in the dream. I think he was a doctor in the real world. I knew my daughter's mom had an appointment the next day. So I'm guessing that's why I dreamt about it. The next day we're talking on the phone as we do every day. And we're about to hang up. When I remember the dream at the last minute, I say, wait, wait, did you see someone with a big nose? I'm thinking that maybe she saw someone in the waiting room during her appointment or something. She starts cracking up and asks me if I talked to our daughter or her mom. I said that I hadn't, but just had a dream with her in it, and there was a dude with an enormous nose. Apparently, the evening before, she and her mom were trash-talking. Or, I'm sorry, <laughs> back. Sometimes the brain tries to read ahead. <laughs> Let's go back here. The evening before, she and her mom were taking trash to the compactor at their apartments. And a new maintenance guy was there who was sporting the biggest nose they'd ever seen. They tried to notice, you know, without noticing, they are good Christians after all. Couldn't help but to acknowledge it and then marvel together about it later. I've had a good number of mystical spiritual dreams, but these are those that hint at something prophetic. I hope you enjoyed them. Take care, Dave, and thank you for everything you do. And that comes from Ray. Thank you, Ray. I appreciate that. It's amazing how much better I can read when I'm not with the Marx Brothers. <laughs> of course, I'm also not drinking booze. Maybe that is a indicator to better things in the future here. I'm going to have a quick sip of water. So for those of you that are watching, you understand this pause. For those of you listening, I'm drinking water. I got to keep those dulcet tones well oiled. All right. We've got a couple more of these stories, and then we will uh, do a quick break. This comes from Crystal. Dave, great show. I wanted to tell you about my prophetic dream experience. Okay, some background first. My twin sister has always been girlier than me, and I was more of a tomboy. Because of that, I always said that I wanted a boy if I ever had kids. Well, each time she got pregnant, I hoped that she'd have girls, but she had two boys, of course. When I got pregnant, I tried convincing myself that I was having a boy, consulting with Chinese gender charts, etc. Well, one night I had a dream that my baby visiting me, almost talking to me through the womb, it was like I was seeing my baby in there. She said, Mommy, I'm a girl. And that's all I remember. Well, of course, the next day I called my mom first thing in the morning to tell her about this. Weeks go by and I keep on forgetting about it. I did the early gender ultrasound at 13 to 14 weeks. Well, it turns out I'm having a girl. Then I remembered the dream. Now Scarlett is turning six this July, and she's the most amazing kid I could have ever asked for. I'm so lucky to have this little girl in my life. Thank you so much for your podcast. I'm a big fan of your work, and I can't wait to meet you in November. I hope the tour company can accommodate my shorter trip request. That comes from Crystal. Yeah, sadly, we can't on the shorter trip requests. The trip is the trip. We book people in, and hopefully you can make it there for the whole time. I'll tell you, personally, if you don't mind going off on a tangent here on a couple of uh, prophetic moments for me, I was a teenage, teenage boy, and my aunt had tried for years to get pregnant and was very depressed by the fact that she was not. I was basically her son as well. My mom and aunt helped, you know, my aunt helped raise me and was uh, very and continues to be an integral part of my life. 
And I remember at one point my aunt was very sad and I said, what's wrong, Auntie Judy? She said, Dave, I just, I just want to have my own little boy too. I want to have, I want to have a son or a daughter. I'd, I'd be happy with whatever. I just, I really want a child. And I said, oh, don't worry about it. You're going to be pregnant and have a baby this year. And she got almost offended. Don't say that. You, you don't say that kind of thing. And I said, oh no, you're going to have a little boy. And she, she got frustrated and, and kind of offended. And about a week later, I believe it was her dog, Mighty, this little horrible thing. <laughs> it was a brain damaged dog with a bad eye and it used to walk backwards instead of forwards. It was a very strange little creature, but uh, Mighty passed away. And then within a few weeks of that, my aunt found out she was pregnant. And I always kind of felt like there was a transition, like Mighty was here for my aunt until my aunt was ready to move on and have a, an actual child. And once that occurred, Mighty finally slipped off into the great abyss and over the rainbow bridge. And it, I still remember that to this day. I remember having that conversation and my, my aunt being so shaken that I was just so serious and knew this. And then flash forward, um, when my firstborn son, uh, now remember for those of you that have been following the show, my firstborn son was born in February of 1988. To me, that was the firstborn child. I hadn't known that I had fathered a child when I was much younger. And, um, I found my lovely Jen just uh, about seven years ago, my oldest child. Uh, but when I was expecting Clifford, the midwife and the doctor we worked with throughout the pregnancy continued to tell us, remember, this is 1987 for the pregnancy, 88 for the birth, would tell us that this uh, this was definitely a little girl. The heartbeat matched the girl. The the way she was carrying matched it being a girl. This matched it being a girl. That matched it being a girl. And I kept saying, nope, nope. I, I was going to name my son Clifford after my grandfather, who was my idol, my hero growing up. And uh, I, my grandfather never had a son. Uh, between my mom and my aunt, my grandmother became pregnant with a boy, but uh, lost him in utero. Um, so he never had a son. I was it. I was the son that he never had. So I wanted to give him a Clifford Warren Schrader, uh, a junior, if you would. He'd become, of course, Clifford Warren Schrader II. But I continued to call Vicky's tummy Cliff and Clifford, and I would talk to Clifford and um, it was, it was pretty remarkable. And, uh, the day that Vicky went into labor, the midwife came and my mom assisted. My mom was a nurse and had worked in the neonatal intensive care unit and her friend Karen had helped deliver thousands of babies. Uh, my mom had assisted her on many of those. Um, the midwife gets in there and she's feeling around. She goes, well, your little girl's going to be born today. And I remember kind of getting this gut feeling, this hit. And I was like, oh. And I had to excuse myself. I was like, oh, okay. And I went in the bathroom and I just started crying. And my aunt came in. She said, what's wrong, honey? And I said, I said, uh, she said, it's a girl. I, I knew it was a boy. She said, it's a girl. She reached in there and she could feel around and she felt a little girl. And my uh, aunt just consoled me. She goes, you're going to be a great dad no matter what. Right. But I had bought all these boy clothes and I, I was at 
20 year old at the time. I was still a young pup myself. And uh, I just, that was it. I was going to have a boy. I knew I was going to have a boy. Nope. Little girl. So as we're going through the birthing, uh, it, the baby was breech. So we used gravity to help deliver my, my son. Right. Um, what I did was I stood with my arms, like, like, uh, goalposts and my girlfriend, Vicky stood with her back to my chest, her arms draped over my arms, my muscular teenage arms. And I just had knee surgery the month before. So I had kind of a buckly weird weak knee, but she would go into a contraction and I'd lock up and hold her and she would push. And, um, remember, I believe it's a girl at this time. And the one person's down there, we have family and friends around to witness the birth. One person's down there with the uh, mirror so I could watch the birth. But of course I can't see anything out pop the legs. And I hear the midwife go, Vicky, you have to push him hard now. And I go, did you say him? And Vicky, he needs to be, did you say he? And the midwife just turns to me and goes, would you just shut up and let me help get this baby out? I was so, all I'm worried about is, is this a boy or a girl? And I can't see from the angle. I see umbilical cord. I see knees. I see toes. No parts. And then finally, he comes popping out. And he was in distress. He had been in there. The cord was wrapped around his neck. He was breached. So we were fighting an uphill battle. And I was just shattered. I was crying like a baby. There was my son and the midwife kept talking to Vicky as I'm holding Vicky. And she's like, Vicky, talk to your son. He's not responding. And Vicky goes, Oh baby, baby. And he just lay there and she, the midwife's rubbing his belly and smacking his feet, trying to get him to respond. And he just kind of was there. And finally the midwife looks over Vicky's shoulder at me and she goes, David, talk to your son. He's not responding. And I kind of came to, and I looked over and I said, Clifford Warren Schrader, and his head rolled up to the sound of my voice and he began crying and, uh, the best sound I've ever heard in my entire life, but I was right. It was a little boy. And, uh, so those were two of my big prophetic moments. And then of course, the month before my son being born, I had the prophetic moment driving by my mom's house repeatedly on new year's Eve of 1988, that something was wrong. I ended up going home early. After dropping friends off, I was supposed to spend the night out at a friend's house, driving back and forth past the house. I kept getting these vibes that my mom was in an ambulance and something wrong. I got home. My mom comes shuffling out into the kitchen, hair all askew, one eye open, one eye squinting. And she's like, what? what? Everything okay? I'm like, yeah, mom. I drove everybody home. I stayed sober. I'm just going to have a quick sip of Pepsi and I'm going to go to bed. She goes, hold on. I'll go to the bathroom. I'll come out and have a smoke and we'll talk. And then she turned around and went into a grand mal seizure. So. She ended up in the hospital. I came home in time for it. Everything worked out to the best. And for those of you that have listened to me in the past, have heard the longer, stupider, idiotic version of the, you know, Abbott and Costello show of my dad and I trying to figure out what was going on with my mom. But those are the three big prophetic moments I've really had in my life that really impacted me. So we're going to take a break. We've got a lot more to talk about, uh, a lot more of your stories here. And like usual, we'll probably go a little over. I hope that's okay with you. The Paranormal 60 Directors Edition is currently underway. But first, a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. What's the first thing that you'd do if, say, you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run? Maybe take a nap? Read a book? 
or just show up for a friend. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. And the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're like me, you think, I can get through a lot. And we can. We're a resilient species. However, there are times that we need to reach out that hand and get a little help from somewhere else. That's what I did with BetterHelp. When I reached that limit and I realized things were getting a little bit out of control, instead of taking it out on my family or taking it out on myself, I just decided to reach out and get the help that I deserve. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy, my darklings. Get BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com P60. Do that today. You're going to get 10% off your first month. That's better. Help, H-E-L-P dot com slash P60. It's time to take control of your life. Dave's here rooting you on. And if I can do this, you can do this. Let's do this together. Betterhelp.com slash P60. There's a link for it on today's program guide. Innovation, creation, vitality, and joy are the pulse of mysoultopia.com with many custom creations for the mind, body, and spirit, along with classes, intuitive sessions, coaching, and healing energies. MySoultopia.com strives to bring sophistication with a twist to the metaphysical and the holistic market while raising the community's vibration and channeling the new paradigm, which means new and exciting adventures for all. MySoultopia.com is utopia for your soul. Visit MySoultopia.com, your one-stop shop for all your metaphysical needs. Offering hand-selected crystals and crystal jewelry with prices to fit every budget. MySoultopia.com offers the best selections of tarot and divination cards by top designers expertly curated and award-winning book collections from top authors on every subject you'll need on your spiritual journey. My Soultopia is also proud to offer the finest singing bowls and an eclectic collection of the most amazing gemstones, crystals, and crystal jewelry from the top metaphysical designers in the world. MySoultopia.com is always your one-stop shop for award-winning mixes of Florida water, sage spray, and other spiritual protection. So begin your journey with the best resource, MySoultopia.com. That's MySoultopia.com. Why mess with the rest when you can start with the best? MySoultopia.com. Again, that's M Y. S-O-U-L-T-O-P-I-A dot com. MySoultopia dot com. Or follow the link on today's program guide for more information. Haunted Magazine is a publication dedicated to all things paranormal and spooky. 
Each issue features articles, interviews, and stories about ghosts, hauntings, and other unexplained phenomena. The magazine also covers topics such as cryptozoology, UFOs, and other aspects of the supernatural. Expect to find in-depth investigations of haunted locations, first-hand accounts of ghostly encounters, and reports of paranormal events and attractions. The magazine also includes features on the latest ghost hunting technology and techniques, as well as tips for those looking to search the supernatural on their own. Issue 37, The Frights of Spring, will be in stores from March 6. So remember, don't be normal, be paranormal, and order your copy today. All right, my little darklings, we are back. We've got a lot of cool stuff going on. Make sure you check out my Amazon shop. Do you know that all of the books that are represented by all the great guests on the show are in one place? In my Amazon shop. That's right. If you go to paranormal60.com, that's paranormal60.com, click on the shop tab at the top. You can scroll down that page, see all the cool items that we offer there, including the t-shirts, the bracelets, autographed pictures, autographed copies of my book. But at the top, there is our Amazon store. And what you could do to help me is click on that and make sure that you flag it. Anytime you purchase anything through Amazon, make sure you go through that link. It doesn't cost you anything extra, but very small portions and proceeds from all the sales, they build up and they go a long way to help support this program. So I hope that you'll consider doing that and show some love and support for the show while getting great books. And remember, please rate and review the books from all the great authors that you hear on this program, and make sure that in that rating and review, you tell them that you heard about it right here on the Paranormal 60. I also want to tell people again about the Paranormal 60 Network. It is alive and thriving, children. Listen, our show airs live Monday and Wednesday nights, and then we take the audio they're released on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I understand that that's not much during the week, and there are many of you that actually have to go to week five or go to work five days a week, so I wanted to give you enough content, some great programming that you might have missed. So on Mondays, you can tune into our New England Legends with Jeff Belanger and Ray Osher as they take you into some of the most fascinating, interesting funny and mystical, mythical, strange stories from the New England area. And there are a lot of them. As a matter of fact, I think they're on episode 302 now, but every week we release a brand new episode on Mondays. Tuesday, you'll be able to hear the audio of the Paranormal 60. Wednesdays, a searcher's podcast. That's right. You get to hear the paranormal mind of Shane Pittman, Ray Causey, and Josh Purvis as they break down and look at different points in paranormal history and some of the weirdest, strangest, and most unusual cases and talk about it. Then Thursdays, you get to tune in and hear me right here with the Paranormal 60 News crew. You get to listen to that version of the show that was live Wednesday night. And then Friday, we go down under as we go visit with our friends Ann and Renata for a True Hauntings podcast. And they take a look at some of the most unusual and bizarre True Haunting stories and try to uh, kind of take them apart, inspect them, and get a good handle and understanding on what took place, how it took place, and are there rational explanations that we can now look at to make sense of the stories that have occurred in these locations. It's a great show, a great lineup. Five days a week, you get the very best in paranormal programming, and I hope you're enjoying it. 
So for those of you that wonder, well, why is Dave only hosting two days a week? That's because those are my shows, the Paranormal 60. The rest are my friends' programs that I knew you'd want to hear. And I hope you're enjoying the shows. Email me, dave at paranormal60.com. Tell me if you like the other shows, which shows are your favorite, and why. I'd love to hear from you. Dave at paranormal60.com. All right, we've got more emails to get to, so damn it, let's get to it. We've got uh, we've got just a little bit of time left in the actual 60-minute portion of the show. I think we're going to be closer to about 90 minutes because I do have a lot of stories, but I'm going to go at them. Are you ready? Let's begin, shall we? And welcome back to the Paranormal 60 with your host, me, Dave Schrader. Dave, recently you brought up sleep paralysis, and that reminded me of an experience I'd wanted to tell you about. It's something that's puzzled and haunted me for over 30 years, and something that to this day, I can't figure out the why or wherefore behind it. There's so many different aspects that don't fit into any one category that can explain it, but if at all possible, I'd love to get some sort of explanation that made sense. That's a tall order, something you've been kicking around for 30 years and haven't made sense of, and you want me to read this and give you my input. I'll do my very best. Let's see what we come up with. This is a two-time experience in four parts. You'll see what I mean. So this happened around the time I was preparing to become a Reiki master after receiving my second degree, but months before becoming a master level in September of 1990. A lot of things seemed to be happening around then, paranormally, which was very likely due to the Reiki initiations opening up my awarenesses. Here's the story. One night, I woke up suddenly out of a sound sleep and was wide awake, totally aware. I thought maybe our daughter, Simone, who was six at the time, had called me from her room next door, and I listened to see if I heard her. But it was silent. Then I wondered if perhaps it was someone skulking around outside our bedroom window at our apartment building, since at that time we lived in kind of a sketchy area of town. Again, it was silent. As I was totally awake, I thought I'd go use the bathroom, peek in on our daughter's room, you know, just to check on her and go back to bed. As I got up, I glanced across to my husband's side of the bed where his digital alarm clock was. And yep, you guessed it. It was exactly 3 a.m. I went to use the bathroom, peeked in at our daughter who was sound asleep and went back in our room. As I slid back into bed, I glanced over at the digital clock again and I saw that it was now 3.03. That amused me because earlier that week, I had read an article in the paper that explained the reason there was always a line at the woman's restrooms during events was because it takes a woman an average of three minutes to use the bathroom. I remember thinking that apparently the study was correct. As I slid down into the sheets, I suddenly became paralyzed. This is not your textbook sleep paralysis, as I had been awake and walking around mere seconds before. So I'm not sure what this was about, but I most definitely couldn't move anything, with the exception of my head and neck. I was able to turn my head, but nothing else. I didn't feel any pressure or weight. I, I just couldn't move. I started to panic, not even thinking about it being anything paranormal. I was afraid that maybe I was having a stroke since my mom had had a stroke and an aneurysm, which had ultimately led to her death. My head was clear, however, and I thought I'd try to wake my husband so he could help me. I tried to speak, but only the merest, tiny, newborn, kitten-like squeak came out. I 
could barely hear it myself. Next, I tried to stretch the fingers on my left hand, which was closest to my husband. I tried as hard as I could, but it wasn't nearly enough to actually touch him, let alone poke him awake. His back was also turned, so it was unlikely he'd see me anyway. About then, I became aware of something on the side of my bed, and my head turned to the right. Standing there was this transparent figure of a monk, complete with a robe belt around his waist and a cowl covering his face, so I, I couldn't see it. This was actually a good thing, because I was very afraid of looking into its face. Although he was transparent, I could still see several details. I saw the rough texture of the fabric of his robe and the folds as he moved, but I could also see through them. Even though I was afraid, I was fascinated. I watched as he put his thin-fingered hands together in a prayer-like position, or like he was about to dive, and then raised them above my chest. He then plunged them in the area of my heart. I felt a sort of electrical buzzing in the area where his hands were, and I could feel things being moved around. I had no idea what was going on, and it didn't hurt, but as it went on, my fear returned, and in my head I started praying to Jesus to make the monk go away. As soon as I started doing that, the monk calmly removed his hands from my chest, turned towards the foot of the bed, and moved off and vanished. As soon as, as, soon as he was gone, I found I could move again and sat up quickly. My voice returned also, but by then there was nothing to be rescued from. So I debated about even bothering to wake up my husband. Ultimately, I didn't wake him and instead found myself going to sleep about 20 minutes later. The next morning, I woke up remembering what had happened, but decided to wait and tell my husband until we were on our way to work so as not to scare our daughter. As they were having breakfast, I went into our daughter's room to get down her Catholic school uniform. I reached my left arm into her closet to pull it out, and as I took it out, I noticed I had some kind of cuts on the middle finger of my left hand. I examined it more closely and saw it wasn't a scratch, rather more like a tiny scoop taken out of an area just under my top knuckle. What was especially strange was that it wasn't a jagged cut, like an accidental injury, but looked like a precise incision that had been cauterized after. Once I noticed it, it started to hurt. I wondered how I had come to cut myself without noticing, because as I said, this wasn't a scratch. I would have definitely remembered an injury like this. I started to hypothesize different possibilities. Maybe it had accidentally dug a fingernail into my finger really deep, although unlikely, especially since it was a cut in the shape of a tiny eye. I checked my sheets for blood, but there was none. We all had to get going to work and school, so in the morning rush, I didn't really have time to examine things further. As the week wore on, I kept thinking about the monk experience and tried to figure out where the cut came from. But eventually, every day, stuff took over, and I sort of stopped thinking about it, although I had a tiny scar on my finger from that mysterious cut. Then, about a month, six weeks later or so, it, it happened again. This time, it was more like a classic sleep paralysis, in that I woke up already paralyzed. Again, the monk, standing on my side of the bed, then turned toward the foot of the bed and moved there. He then climbed on the bed and straddled the bottom part of my legs. Once again, he made his hands in a prayer diving position and plunged them into my abdomen area. Again, I felt the electrical buzzing where his hands were, and I felt him moving through things down there. 
I actually felt my organs being displaced, which concerned me. How was he going to get them back in the right place, I wondered, but I was fascinated by the process. I couldn't imagine what he was trying to do, and again, fear overtook me, and I started praying to Jesus in my head. As before, once I started that, he calmly removed his hands from my abdomen, climbed off my legs and the bed, turned around, and vanished. Once he was gone, again, I could move, and again decided not to wake my husband. What was interesting was that as I thought more about it, I wasn't as scared as one might imagine. I was startled and shook, but realized I didn't actually feel any fear. And I went back to sleep again about 20 to 30 minutes later. The next morning, we went through the usual morning work school day routine. Once again, I went to my daughter's room to get down her uniform, forgetting about the earlier injury experience. However, I didn't forget for long since it had happened again. In the exact same spot was a fresh new scooped out eye-shaped cut, precisely cut and looking cauterized as before. Again, I went through the how the hell did I get cut overnight theories and looked in the sheets. Again, no blood. There was nothing. It's never happened again since. Both times this happened, I continued to feel that electrical buzzing feeling in the areas where he'd had his hands for a long while afterwards, and things just felt different. I have not been able to come to any conclusions as to what it could have been or meant. My mother-in-law thought that maybe it had to do with the upcoming Reiki master initiation, that maybe the monk was fixing me in some way to prepare me. A couple people on a ghost story message board who had heard the story back then thought it might be aliens, and others just figured it was regular old sleep paralysis episode. I have absolutely no clue, and I would love to hear your thoughts and those of anyone else who might have come across something similar. I've read and listened to many stories about sleep paralysis, but have never come across anything that includes all the aspects of what I experienced. I know I didn't imagine all this, and I still have that tiny, eye-shaped scar on my finger. So, what do you think? Peace and light. This comes from our friend Lena Litenois. Lena, crazy story. Um, not in the you're crazy category, but definitely in the, wow, that's a hell of a story. To unpack a few things, um, perhaps, again, it did have to do with your Reiki. And I'm sure to get to that level, you had been performing Reiki on others. There is an exchange of energy in doing so. And I wonder if in that exchange of energy, did you take on something that didn't belong to you inadvertently? Maybe this being, this guardian, this watcher came to extract it to keep you safe, healthy, perhaps to recover what didn't belong there. I don't know if it was to help you for that Reiki mastery or if perhaps there was another aspect of it. It does have many different elements of aliens and ghosts and strange hijinks, but I would say if you're working in an energy form and this was a healing energetic sense or feel that it might have been trying to clear a pathway to clear something out of you to help you more. Um, maybe it just in that point of your career in working with Reiki, it, it needed help. Now, a lot of times Reiki practitioners feel an energy come through them as they're working, but if you're not seeing it, maybe there are helpers around you that are pouring that energy into you. And maybe this is just one of them that came to help finish up a job. That's where I would go with this, especially if you don't feel particularly 
unnerved by it or terrified by it. You just rolled over and went to sleep after both experiences. I would say it was probably more of a healing event. It would be interesting to find at some point in your future, if you ever go in to get scoped or looked at, is there anything strange or out of place? Lena, let me know if you ever get that answer. All right. Let's get into the next one. This comes from our friend, Linda, the White Witch of Elgin. How'd you like that, Linda? Hiya, Dave. Was just listening to yourself and Mike on the show and had to agree with Mike. I see them so often at night. This is about shadow figures. I see them so much at night that I do tend to just roll over and go back to sleep, expecting it to be a random spooky visitor as I get visits from spirits of all kinds. But one night in July of 2008, I had seen this tall, skinny male with long hair. Again, I thought it was just a ghostly visitor until I heard the sound of metal on metal and could smell chocolate. This is my type of nighttime visitor, man. One of my guides uses the smell of chocolate as a warning of danger. So I was suddenly wide awake. Chocolate is danger. That's a confusing element. I saw the tall, skinny male with long hair as an actual person, and he was stood at the side of my bed, less than four feet away from me. Adrenaline ticked over, and I screamed at him to get the feck out of my house. Feck, I said, folks. F-E-C-K. Not offensive at all. I chased him out of the house and halfway down the street, only giving up when I realized I was too unfit to catch him, and suddenly remembering I was naked as the day I was born. I went home and called the police. They got him within a couple of days. I later found out that the metal on metal noise was my cash box containing small change for my market stall float. But I would not have bothered opening my eyes if my spirit helper hadn't sent the smell of chocolate. So I'm very glad that Mr. Chocolate woke me up before anything more horrible happened. But yes, I do believe that most of the shadow figures are spirits that just don't have the energy to be visible as anything more than a shadow. Hope everything is good with you guys. Thank you very much. Linda Dean, Elgin Ghost Tours. Oh, Linda, thank you for stopping by. I appreciate it. Good hearing from you, my friend. All right. Hey, Dave. When me and my brother were growing up, we lived in, let's just say, an interesting house. While there are many weird things that happened at this house, this experience was the most unique. So one day, when me and my older brother, about 10 and a half years in age, were running around the house trying to beat the crap out of each other, well, as we reached the top of the stairs, I thought I had him as I go to push him into the wall. He turns to run down the hall, steps on the bottom of a long curtain, and out shoots this gray shadow thing that was about the size of a rabbit. This thing raced down the hallway, banks the corner, and goes straight into my room. Me and my brother just stared at the now empty hallway, wondering what we just saw. In the end, we decided the game was over and just go downstairs and not think about what it is that's lurking upstairs. Dave, it was the middle of the day. We were the only ones home. There are no animals in that house. Still, to this day, almost 30 years later, I can still see it clearly in my mind like it had happened yesterday. And still, I have absolutely no explanation for what it is we saw. That was Melissa. Listen, ghost animals exist. I've had experiences with them. I believe in them. Maybe it was just a ghost bunny checking up on you. Okay. Hi, Dave. I just finished watching your video from last night and look forward to Monday's Shadow People episode. 
I just wanted to tell you about my experience with a shadow person. It was 2016 and my late husband was going through chemo for radiation for esophageal cancer. He spent a lot of time exhausted and in bed. I would spend hours on the living room couch playing mindless games on my tablet, trying to just breathe and be there for him. I would leave the bedroom door open halfway in case he woke and needed something. We were renting a small apartment at the time and the couch faced the bedroom door. One afternoon, something caught my eye in the narrow space between the door and door frame, right at the middle hinge level. The sun was shining in the living room, making this black mass clearly visible. As I looked at it, it seemed to morph upwards, making itself more narrow and taller. Then it just vanished, leaving the sun shining on the dresser that was behind the door. I tiptoed into the room and looked behind the door, and nothing unusual was there. Over the next few months, this mass would appear in the same place almost daily as my husband slept. I wasn't concerned or worried as it would show up, seemed to look at me through the crack for several minutes, then vanish. About two weeks before he passed, I was sitting in my usual spot and the black mass arrived. This time, however, it put two small black hands around the door, just under the doorknob, and then peered at me around the door. It was about four and a half feet tall, slender, and had round, pale gray eyes. I was looking at the TV in front of me as I didn't want to startle it by looking directly at it, and it stood there about three feet to the left of the TV so I could see it clearly. Finally, I slowly turned my eyes and made eye contact with it. We stared at each other for probably three to five seconds. Then it slowly pulled its head back behind the door, and each hand followed. For the next couple of weeks, it would show up again, look at me from behind the door, then go away. After my husband passed, I never saw it again. Like I said, I wasn't scared of it. I felt like it was there to watch over him as he transitioned from this realm to the next. Or maybe it just came to be with me as I sat crying, worrying, and wondering. Either way, I was sad when it no longer showed up because that meant my husband was truly gone from this world and from my life. That's my shadow person story. Maybe... When it's my time to transition, it will appear to me again. Thanks for reading. I love your shows and all the info you bring to us. Sending cyber hugs your way, and this comes from Lindsay. Thank you, Lindsay. Lindsay, here's an interesting concept. Maybe maybe that little impish spirit was your husband, out of body, checking in on the person that he loves, watching her from a distance, wishing he could say something to comfort her. I often believe that some of the shadowy figures that we encounter may be our own children sleeping in the rooms and out of body, running around, being a child, having fun. When I had my issue with sleep paralysis once, when I woke up with a start, unable to move, I could sense something in my house moving towards me. Starting down in the kitchen, moving slowly through the living room, then up the stairs. And I remember the panic and anxiety that struck me, not fear for myself, but knowing that it had to pass my children's room before it got to me. I was afraid it was going to veer off and I couldn't move. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't do a damn thing to save my little girl or my little boy. And I laid there trying as hard as I could to will myself up and moving. Words made no sense. I thought maybe it's an issue. I tried to, to pray and I couldn't. Our father named Art who lives in New Haven. Uh, no, that's not it. Our God who is father and uh, likes 
to paint art. No, that's not it. My brain was scrambled. I could not put two and two together. And I could feel it getting closer and closer and closer. And as it approached the end of my bed, I was startled and I caught my breath and I finally was able to sit up. And they say that when we astral project, there's a thin silver cord that keeps us attached to our physical form. And I've often wondered, was the reason I could sense that thing coming up the stairs because it was me? The reason I couldn't move is because the essence of the being was outside, right? It's like an automatic car starter. I can push the key and start my car from in here, but I'm still holding the key, right? The car is going, but the driver ain't in it yet. And maybe that's what happens from time to time in these sleep paralysis moments is we have not re-entered, reintegrated with our physical form. We can sense something's off, but we can't tell exactly what it is. And maybe that shadowy figure making its way to us, looming over us, is us trying to re-enter our bodies. It's a thought. So is chicken and waffles. That's a thought. That's a popular thought. All right, here we go. Hey, Dave, as a child, my playroom was an old tuberculosis ward. From the age of five, all I wanted was a train set and over the years, ended up with a huge set. During the day, I would happily play there, but as soon as dusk fell, I would leave in a hurry. I was about six when I noticed movement inside the ward, and as I stood and watched, there were several shadows that seemed to be walking about. I stood and stared. They were darker than the room, and they were human-shaped. The black was dense, not smoky. The outlines were defined, but not detailed. To get anywhere, I had to pass the tuberculosis ward. So after sunset, I would scuttle past with my back to the opposite wall and eyes averted. When I did look, the shadows were still there moving about. This is my second email to you. And if you're interested, I'll tell you about the amazing place where I grew up. And that comes from Ruth. Yes, Ruth. We want to hear more about where you grew up. And maybe you can join us on the 150th episode to tell us that story. Because... I like any story that begins with my playroom was the tuberculosis ward and I saw shadowy figures. Maybe I'm the only one that feels that way, but I feel like there's more to that story and I'd like to know it. All right. Let me chop over here real quick to the comments to prove to you tonight is a live show. Uh, let's see what's going on. Uh, oh, Mark is sharing stories. Mark, I'm the host of the show. Let me share the stories or share them with us on the 150th episode, man. Come on, be a part of the show. I love when you guys are in there chatting in the chat room. See, this is why you should watch live, because not only do you get to see the show, you get to be a part of an amazing community. My little darklings from around the world get together. They talk, they have fun, they have a great time, and they have made friendships, and I'm sure these friendships will last and excel beyond the scope of just a chat room. Let's see. Uh... Hey, Dave, this is a question coming in from the chat room. Uh, nope, where did that one pop to? Uh, hey, Dave, what got you into the paranormal? The paranormal got me into the paranormal. I've been around it, and it's been around me my entire life, Nikki Cameron. That is why I am interested in the paranormal. Uh, let's see. Oh, Troy. Troy is a true believer in astral projection. You know, I'm not sure where I stand on astral projection yet. I do believe something's happening. Why not be out of our bodies, right? They're 
I have a lot of flight dreams. And like I said, it's about three quarters of the way through these dreams that I start to realize, I think this is a dream, but it's also very surreal and real at the same time. I can feel there's a tactile sense, smell. I can smell things in those dreams. I can't think about it, honestly. When is the last time you can remember smells from a dream? And I've mentioned this one before in the past. I'm going to throw this back out to you. I'm just curious. And maybe those of you in the chat room can, uh, you know, put an X, just an X, if you've had this happen in your dream, okay? Only if you've had this in your dream. I want you to think about the dreams that you have. We go to work in our dreams. We go to movies in our dreams. We sing songs. We go to concerts. We go to ball games. We do everyday things in our dreams. The one thing that very, very few people remember in their dreams is this. Our cell phone, we carry it with us all the time. We're on it all the time. We're communicating. And even at a dinner table with our loved ones, we're focused on this instead of what's around us. But how many of you have actually had dreams where your cell phone appears in the dream? For those of you in the chat room, put an X up if you've actually had a dream with your cell phone in it. Really? We've got a couple straight out of the shoot. That's crazy because a lot of the people I've spoken to don't. They don't have the phone in their dreams. So obviously, you people are broken that are dreaming about your phone. Give up your phone. If you're even dreaming about your phone, you have an addiction problem. But Dave loves you anyway. Yeah. Oh, interesting. A special power uh, from the chat room, that's the name, says, my dreams never have electronics in them. Good for you. Let's see. Uh, couldn't get the numbers to work. That's true. Interesting. No, I don't. Troy says he doesn't. And uh, some people are just saying they just don't recall having dreams. Cool stuff. All right. We got a couple more stories to go here. I want to I try to get through all these because these are dating back into February. And once I've cleared this out, then I've only got a handful left from like January and December and November. And I'm going to try to do another episode on those. So we will uh, keep working through these. I'm sorry. I'm so bad at it, guys. But we have so much stuff in with the guests and then the news. I don't, just don't always have time to plug these in. So I hope you're enjoying tonight's episode where we're focusing on you and your stories. Here we go. This comes from Melinda. Hey, Dave, Marty, Greg, and Eric. I've been thinking for a long time about emailing you with some of my experiences that may or may not have been paranormal. Let me explain. My parents were old school Brooklyn of Jewish descent. Oh, the imagery, but not practicing. And when I say those things, that's what's written in the letter, not me going off on an aside. I'll let you know when I go off on an aside. Usually my asides turn into rambling, which turns into dissension and then madness. All right. My father was a self-proclaimed atheist. My mother, well, she proclaimed a lot of things. They were skeptical about everything and everyone. They only believed what they saw. Anything with a hint of spirituality to it was dismissed. It was a very nurturing environment, Dave. So now it goes without saying, I'm a freaking skeptic too. Now, my grandmother, who passed away when I was in high school, and it was the first time I was old enough to truly understand death, and it hit me hard. Flash forward to a few years later, I'm 19 and in college. I had a dream one night. I was woken up to the phone ringing in my dorm room. I answered it, and it was my grandmother. I heard, yes, and how are you, miss? That is what she always said when I spoke to her on the phone. My heart stopped. I I couldn't breathe. I, I started crying. She told me I had to stop worrying about her, that she was with my grandfather and she was fine. 
I told her I had so many questions and wanted to tell her how much I loved her and missed her, but she said she couldn't talk. She had to go. And then she hung up. My best friend insisted that it was a visitation dream, but I wouldn't entertain the cause. Hello, skeptic. So I just brushed it off as a bad dream, and she told me I should be more open. She was right. Fast forward again, or as I say, yada, 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 I'm 36 and pregnant with my son. I had another dream that was so incredibly real. I was in bed asleep, but awake at the same time, if that makes sense. I felt my father was there, even though I couldn't see him. He was talking to me, telling me he was sorry that he wasn't going to be able to see my son grow up, that he knew what a great mother I would be, and he didn't want to leave. I woke up hysterically crying. It was two o'clock in the morning, and I called my dad to make sure he was okay, which thankfully he was. So I again brushed it off as a bad dream because, you know, pregnancy hormones, Dave. Not long after that dream, he was diagnosed with MDS, a rare type of cancer of the blood where the cells in your bone marrow become abnormal. This would eventually progress to leukemia. He was given just five years to live, and that was with treatment. Unfortunately, the disease progressed so quickly, he didn't even get one treatment. He was surviving on blood transfusions that kept him going until it didn't. He didn't make it the five years, and when my son was three years old, I found myself sitting at my father's bedside as he was struggling for his last breath, holding my hand. While the rest of the family was begging him to stay, I was the one telling him, it's okay to go. I told him what a great father he was and that we would be okay. I'm crying even now just writing about this because it was such a traumatic experience. You see, my father didn't know that he was dying. My mother and brother had decided not to tell him because they thought if he knew, he would give up. I was furious with this decision because it was robbing him of his last moments and the opportunity to say the things he would want to say to everyone before his soul would leave this world. So the only thing I could do was help ease him into death. I stopped the clocks and opened windows. I felt right to do it. My mother thought I was crazy. She asked why I would do that. I didn't bother answering. I made the necessary calls. Services were arranged, and the atheist services were conducted by a rabbi. Oi, she says in the email. Since his death, I noticed little things, like going into several different stores over the course of an hour, and each store is playing one of his favorite songs, The Girlfriend Ipanema. Some mornings, I turn on the car radio, and Oyo Como Va by Santana. Santana? <laughs> I can't. Oh. It's due to finally start hitting me, messing up some words, the easy one like Santana. Oyo Como Va by Santana is playing. He used to play along to it on his bongos when I was a kid. My favorite is Turning on the TV and Lonesome Dove is on. That was our movie. And I started to think that maybe these were his signs to let me know there really was more. So I'd gone from a skeptic to a skeptical believer. Welcome to the club. That's where I am. I am a skeptical believer. My name is Dave and welcome. Now as a skeptical believer, all this can just be a coincidence or it could be more. I needed more. More than just a song on the radio or a movie on TV. Last year on Valentine's Day, I think I got the more I was looking for. I was up watching TV and my husband and son were asleep. I had been thinking about my dad and missing him so damn much. I had an app on my tablet that was like a spirit box. I thought, what the hell? 
Nothing's going to happen because it's just a stupid app. So I said, Dad, are you here with me? A well-known psychic in my area that I am acquainted with told me that when you die, you pick your heaven, and my dad picked me. Can't blame him. I'm pretty awesome, although it does bring up some awkward issues. I digress. Anyway, nothing happened, of course, and I laughed at myself that I was such an idiot. So I got up and went to do some laundry downstairs. I came back up and started to fold some of my son's clothes. I was sitting in the living room, the lights were off, and I was watching a certain unnamed paranormal investigation show (coughs) when I started hearing a clicking sound in perfect time, like a metronome. I couldn't figure out where it was coming from and got up to look around. I saw nothing, but the sound was still there. I sat back down trying to think of where the noise was coming from. My son's bedroom door was right across from where I'd been sitting. I looked at the door and I noticed that there was a string of red Mardi Gras beads hanging from my son's bedroom doorknob, just swinging back and forth, hitting the doorframe, making the noise. The door was closed. I looked around for the cats to see if they had knocked into it, but they were asleep on the couch. So were the dogs. It was just me. And I stood there watching. The beads kept swinging much longer than they should. It felt like 20 minutes. Finally, I stopped them from moving and went about doing my usual. I sat back down and was playing a game on my phone when I realized the noise had begun again. I looked over at the door, and there were the beads swinging away. The animals had not yet moved. I sat there and watched them. I wasn't freaked out. I was completely calm. After a bit, I said, Hi, Dad. Then I got up, stopped the beads, and that was that. I believe my dad was there with me that night, telling me he loved me on Valentine's Day. Other little things have happened here and there, but that, that was my dad. I'm still a skeptical believer, just leaning a bit more on the believer side nowadays. Anyway, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Thank you, Dave, and thanks to Marty, Eric, and Greg, and all the darklings that have opened my eyes to the possibilities that are out there. And so I will leave you with one thing I've learned from the Paranormal 60 crew, other than that Stevie Nicks really does sound like a goat, and that is, words is hard. Thank you. And that comes from Melinda. Thank you, Melinda. Great stories. Okay, here we go. Our last couple of stories, our last couple of emails. Are you guys ready? Let's settle in. Let's get this thing going. Don't forget, Super Chat is on, Super Like, Super Stickers. Super, super, feel free to show a little love to the show should you want to. Or if you'd like to make donations for the program at Venmo, you could just do it to at Paranormal60, at Paranormal60. We always appreciate the love. Sorry, I haven't had anybody in there running the chat to throw these things up on the screen tonight. It's just me all alone. So here we go, our final two stories. Hey, Dave, we met on the Chris Jericho cruise. I was the one that asked you if some people are more prone to be visited by spirits and ghosts than others. Reason I asked is I've had some weird experiences. I told you about seeing the old man on top of the Horace Mann Hall, my dorm in uh, Farmingham State in Massachusetts when I was in college. You should look up the stories about the lady who burned to death in the tunnels and the mirrors in the dorms. Very creepy. I also had a dream the night my grandmother died, very much like the one Anthony Bowens described about his. My grandmother and I were extremely close. I grew up in a neglect situation with a bipolar parent. I used to go to her house every weekend, and she made sure I was taken care of. 
She loved feeding people and sitting down to have tea with me. She was tough as nails and had a super quick wit. Straight off the boat from the boonies in Ireland and grew up right after the War of Independence and then survived the Blitzkrieg in London during the Second World War. I had an enormous amount of respect for her, but unfortunately, dementia had set in by the time I was 13 and she didn't know who I was when she passed away. When I was in my 20s, the last few years, I couldn't bear to see her in a nursing home. I wanted to remember her the way she was. It was just painful to see her confused and frail. A couple of days before she passed, I started getting these overwhelmingly guilty, sad feelings of just missing her and wanting to see her. I was at school and had no car and no way to see her. I didn't know she was in the hospital with ulcers. My parents didn't tell me she was dying because they didn't want to interrupt my studies. The night she passed, I saw her in my dream. It was incredibly vivid. It was like she was when I was younger. She was lucid. She remembered me. I woke up crying. I was shaking. My dad called me a few minutes later to let me know that she had died, but somehow I already knew, and I stopped him before he could tell me. Normally, I would try to chalk things up to coincidence, but my first cousin, Aaron, who was always considered the favorite grandchild, had the same dream. And I didn't tell her about mine. She just mentioned it at the wake. There's been other times that I've had really strange feelings, either good or bad, right before things happen. I was walking behind a kid in high school once in the last day of school. His name was Nick, very popular guy. Wasn't really in my clique, and I didn't know him well, but he was in one of my classes, and I would let him borrow pencils sometime. On the last day of school one year, I had this heavy feeling in my gut walking behind him like I should say goodbye. And it felt hard to breathe, almost like having a panic attack. And I was about to fall downstairs. I fought really hard. Well, a few months later, my brother came home from summer school and said, guess what? He mentioned that Nick and my heart sank. His mom, grandmother, little brother, and him got into a fatal car accident. Only his little brother survived. I get freaked out when I start to have these kind of feelings and try to ignore them as much as humanly possible, but I'm kind of wondering if I might have some sensitivity to psychic or medium-like stuff. A friend of mine is a Roma gypsy, and she wonders if I might have come from travelers based on the part of Ireland where we're originally from. My mom has seen friends that have passed and predicted weird things before, and also had a grandmother that would say strange things that would come true. Honestly, I would mostly like to live life normally. I have enough stuff to deal with day to day as it is. Any thoughts or tips? Feel free to share anything about my university, but please keep my other personal stories between us. I don't want people thinking I'm nuts, so I won't say your name, but nobody here thinks you're nuts. Thank you for sharing your stories with us. There's a great book I always recommend to people called The Still Small Voice by Echo Bodine. She also wrote the book, The Gift. I would suggest picking up both of those books, giving them a read, and it might help you come to terms with your abilities and learn to shut them down properly and safely, or at least to show you how to control them, ground them a little bit more. Thank you for writing in. Our final email is here. Hey, Dave, Sherry from Chattanooga here. I enjoyed hearing you read my experiences in the hospital so much that I wanted to share with you about an apartment I used to live in. As it is February, this is a gentler story. As I said, these emails go back into last year. We lived in this apartment from the summer of 1998 until December 2001. I was married and, at the time, had one kid who was in preschool. My now ex-husband and I were both 
full-time university students, so this was a two-bedroom student apartment. Shortly after the fall semester of 98 started, I was in the back of the apartment working on a paper completely involved in what I'm doing. Mommy, I hear behind me. I turn around looking for my kid when I remember that uh, I was in class and the kid was still at daycare. I'm done for the day and now focus is broken, so I figure maybe that was my cue to pick the kid up. I didn't think much about it until the next time maintenance comes around. Have you heard the little boy looking for his mommy, one of the masks? Oh, the voice I heard was actually real. You're welcome to come here and play, I said out loud. We don't mind. And he did. For the next two years, battery-operated toys would play randomly. Things would move. Little noises would be heard here and there. Things you would expect from a young child. And in 2000, a new neighbor moved in next door. A single mother with one child. We were helping her move boxes in while our kids played. Then we sat down and started talking. We told her about the little boy. At first, she didn't seem to believe us. And right on cue, a toy that was sitting on the couch between us started going off. She looked terrified. No, no, it's okay. Both Jay and I told her, she's just a kid. He's okay. I don't know if she ever got used to our invisible playmate. Then, late in 2001, we're preparing to move. One evening, the kid is asleep, and Jay and I are getting ready to settle down. I'm already in the bedroom while Jay is brushing his teeth when we hear a little kid giggle. That was in the kitchen, I say. Jay follows the little giggle around the apartment until it goes into our kid's room. He follows it in and then comes back a moment later with a stuffed animal that had fallen off the bed and landed on the heater. It had a huge hole burnt in it. Half the stuffing was already gone, and it was smoking. Would it have eventually burst into flame next to my child's bed? Because we invited a lonely little ghost boy to come to our apartment to play, I'll never know. That was the last time I heard anything from him before we moved out, and I haven't been back to the neighborhood in the last 20 years since, so I don't know if he's still there, but I hope he was able to move on and find his mommy. Cheers. And that comes from Sherry. Thank you very much, Sherry. Thank you very much to all of you, my lovely little darklings around the world who shared in tonight's experience with us. And I'm watching. You guys have stayed. Thank you so much. I hope you've enjoyed the stories. And I want to thank each and every one of you that took time out to write those stories and share them with us here on the program so that all of our listeners could share in that. I appreciate you more than you'll ever know. And again, for all of you who have put out prayers and asked for protection and surrounding me, I thank you very much for that. Please keep those prayers coming because I don't know that I'm completely out of the woods yet. And if you wouldn't mind extending those prayers to my family, just to make sure that everybody stays safe. Again, physically, I don't feel I'm in any danger. Emotionally and spiritually, maybe a little bit. So I would appreciate you to continue those prayers and continue those prayers for all the people in my home, all of my family members and the home that I live in. All right, folks, I hope that the darkness is just a little bit more light with the information that we share here, the laughs we share, the information and entertainment that we bring. But remember, you're never far away from your old pal, Dave. And if you have questions and stories you'd like to share, you can email them to me, dave at paranormal60.com. That's dave at paranormal60.com. Thank you for tuning in. This is the Paranormal 60. This is my realm, and I'm your host, Dave Schrader.
This has been a broadcast of the Paranormal 60, where sometimes words ain't so hard.